Scripture reading is from Genesis 3, 1 to 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. I have a feeling there's a sermon there, Mark. I, I just have a feeling. But I get to preach today, but if you, I'll, I'll give you some time at another point. That's great. Um, I, we're starting a series this morning, a three-week series called Identity Crisis, and I just want to put a few disclaimers on it this morning. One, I'm not, a, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a professional but I like a lot of psychology, and so you'll hear a little bit of that in the sermon this morning. But I'm not an expert in psychology, and particularly what we're gonna be talking about today is identity, some identity formation, how we form our identity, and I am no expert in this field. I've also been interested recently in what I would call, or what the world calls, identity politics. Uh, there's a lot of identity politics happening today, and so we're gonna talk about maybe what's going on there. Again, I'm still learning about identity politics. I don't have all the answers. Uh, I'm still learning, trying to understand what's going on with identity politics, so you're going to see reflected a little bit of my reading in that area this morning. But I do think as we struggle with what I would call our society's identity crisis, that I think that there is some biblical principles, some biblical truth, some biblical insight and theology that helps us in forming our own identities. And so we'll take a look at that. And I think one of the places we see identity go askew is in this Genesis passage that we heard read today. So we're gonna jump into that. But before we do that, I'm looking for a, a volunteer to help me this morning. Uh, I need a volunteer, uh, anybody. I'm looking for particularly someone young that will, I won't make fun of you, maybe. So, um, but it won't be too embarrassing. I'm, looking, I'm not looking at the Pook family because they've been up here a couple times, so I'm getting them off the hook. I'm looking for somebody who can just play. Have you ever, anybody been on The Price is Right? 
Anybody seen the price, or not been on, but seen the prices, right? And you have to like, so I'm going to ask you to come up here and label these cans is what I'm going to do. There's no prize, um, but anybody want to come on? Come on down. All right, come on, Chris. All right, thank you, Chris. You're young enough. So what, uh, you've you got three cans here. They're pretty much the same, would you say? Are they the same? Best I can tell. Best you can tell. What's, what's the same, what's, what, what do you notice is the same about them? They're all made out of metal. They're all made out of metal, probably the same type of metal, right? None of them have a label. None of them have a label. They're all the same size, right? Um, they're all recyclable. I hope so. You hope so, right? All right. So how would you label these? How would you identify these to somebody? Because would you also say they're different? Do you think they're different? They could be. They could be. How would you know that? Because I've had different things come out of cans that look the same. Okay, so you've had different things come out of the cans. So I'm actually gonna do, help you do this, right? So what I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna actually give you some help, just like they do on The Price is Right, and I'm gonna actually give you the labels that came off of those cans, and I want you <laughs> to put the right label on the right can. <laughs> or what, what, what you think, right? Yeah, like, you notice how they always do it, like, oh, look, maybe there's something I can do to tell, that will tell me there, there's really no way to tell. It's pretty random chance, right? It's like going to the Mariners game and they do the hat thing with the baseball, you know, they're trying to figure out what, right? So you're gonna say this is tomato sauce, this is pumpkin pie filling, and this is kidney beans. That's what you're going with, right? So how are we going to know if you're right? We gotta open them and we have to see what is inside, right? And so uh, let's do that, I actually helped. I think we can do that, right? So here's a can opener. I already spilled once on myself. All right, well I got, I got stuff for you. I got stuff. <laughs> Try not to spill too much here because we do have a you know, wood floor to protect. No, no, no pressure. So go ahead, open that up. He's, going, he's saying this is the tomato. You know, again, no pressure, yeah, right. Where's the, where's the music? Hey, 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 he was right. It is tomato, yeah. <laughs> all right, hey, good job. I, I did not expect that at all. Let's see if, Let's see if you can it. go two for two. <laughs> it's pumpkin pie, we're going, is this pumpkin pie? Uh-oh, uh, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. He got it, He's, he got pumpkin pie on the second one. Wait, good. I can tell you that that is beans, so we don't need to open that and waste more food today. We did not coordinate this, this, but I think it's awesome that you, I did not expect that at all. This just ruins my whole illustration. Uh, Anyway, yeah, yeah, that's good. Thank you, thank you, all right. Uh, Let's give Chris a hand, thank you, good job. Let me just go to the point and then we can skip all the other stuff. The point is, labels are only as accurate as what's inside, right? I don't really know what anything about you. You could put on a label. You could assume a label on yourself. You could create, you could say, this is my identity, but I really don't know you until I look inside and get to know what's inside of you. Does that make sense? But we wear a lot of external labels as people, as human beings, and we wear these labels, but really that's the, those labels are short-sighted, actually. Um, until we open up, right, 
Until we see what is inside a person, do we really get to know that person and who they are and who God created them to be? And so, but we like these labels. And if you don't think we label ourselves, well, just drive around Seattle, drive around the country. You see cars with bumper stickers. Are bumper stickers not an attempt to label ourselves to communicate to the world around us, this is who's driving this car. We're trying to communicate to random strangers who is driving the car, right? And so we put all these bumper sticker sticker labels on our cars to communicate to the world who's inside the car. What kind of person is driving this car? And we may laugh at the bumper stickers, we may disagree with the bumper stickers, but we try and wear these labels on our cars Why we're doing that for for total strangers, I'm not sure. But part of that is we're trying to be, we're trying to communicate, right, to the world what's inside of us, what we're about. And so that's part of our identity. We're trying to communicate something about our identity. Now, one of the things that's happening in today's world, it's really nothing new. Um, uh, We look at all these things. How many people uh, turned in their primary ballot for the King County election this year, August 7th, right? I did it, I registered to vote. Hope you did register to vote. So I have never seen, I'm from East Coast, sorry. I have never seen anything like this. I got my ballot and there were 33 candidates on the ballot, I've never seen this before in my life, and nine different party affiliations, right? So I actually had to sit there with my phone and Google all these different party affiliations because, and then what, it, what was happening? People did not want to do. What did some of the candidates want to not do? They did not want to identify with the Republican Party, and they did not want to identify with the Democrat Party, so they start making up stuff. And some of that stuff's really made up stuff. (laughs) I also got introduced to Good Space Guy. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I'm impressed. I almost voted for him. I was close. It was really close. (laughs) Just because, you know, I thought this guy's, at least he's, you know, being, you know, there's authenticity here, right? So, anyway, I, well, that, that lets you know my political leanings. I didn't vote for good space guy, sorry. Um, but so that, look at that. So those are labels, play, ways we identify politically. Uh, I learned, I've been learning re- more recently through my, my millennial children that there are now 53, I couldn't find an exact number, but there are 53 to 76 different gender labels being used today. That's a lot of different labels. And then I started reading about gender fluidity and I just, I said, I've, you know, I could, there's a whole world there to learn about. Uh, think about our ethnic labels that we wear. The, according to the Census Bureau, we have, there are seven ethnic labels according to the Census Bureau. So you and I can label ourselves ethnically seven different ways, even though we may not be that, right? But those are the categories, those are the choices we get on the census. I found out then in the country of Burma, there are 135 different ethnicities in the country of Burma. Oh, that's a lot of ethnicity, right? And they would say they're distinct ethnicities, they're distinct cultures, they're distinct people groups and different languages. And so you have to think about it. those are all different ways to identify ourselves ethnically. And then, you know, we, we kind of look at the world and we go, wow, this is, you know, all these labels and, you know, you know who started all this? The church. We have six major world religions. And how many labels? How many labels? Uh, you, you can look at, we have different sects in, in, the, in the Muslim and Islam. We have different sects in Buddhism. We have different sects in uh, Christianity and Judaism. There are different uh, labels, different denominations. 
Think about Christianity. How many different denominational labels do we have? Methodist. What else do we have? You guys know these, right? Free Methodist. United Methodist. Presbyterian. But how many tribes of Presbyterian do we have? We have PCUSA. We have PCA, OPC, right? So we have all these labels. And think about how we've created all these labels. And how many people have ever said to somebody, uh, what is that, right? You know, you, you come up, you know, I go to this church, and this is our denominational label. And you go, what? What's that? You know, like Orthodox Presbyterian Church. I had to learn about that a few years ago. Like I had never heard of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, which is different than the other Presbyterian churches. But so we're still learning. And all these labels that we have to think about. I would also suggest to you that amidst all these labels lies a problem. There's a big problem with labels. And the problem is with labels come assumptions about what's inside, right? So I can label... And this is a pretty simple thing, but when it comes to humanity, when it comes to labeling a person, we then carry the, these, with that label come assumptions. And we know that teachers will teach children, dif- treat the children differently when they have a certain label on them. Because so if your kid gets labeled the problem child, right, your teachers are going to start to change the way they behave in relating to those children. We know that, it's, it's, it's proven, because we do that because our brains work to categorize the world around us and make sense of the world around us. That's the way our brains are designed. We need to know the difference between a grizzly bear and a cow, right? If you're walking out in the, and you see a cow, you're gonna respond very differently to that category of animal than you do a grizzly bear, right? Okay? One will trample you, the other will eat you. So you need to know those different things, right? So those are different categories and our brains are wired that way, but they can also become these labels, these categorizations can become problematic when they come with assumptions. When they come with assumptions. So I can assume things about your label that I may or may not like. Those assumptions could be positive assumptions, those assumptions could be negative assumptions. Don't worry, we're getting to the Bible, just stay with me. But think about that, those assumptions that come with those labels. I was out playing golf in a charity tournament. Our church was hosting a charity golf tournament. I invited some pastor friends to come and join me. We were playing in this uh, golf tournament. And uh, the pro would come around to each of the foursomes and say, hey, you know, great, welcome to our course. And let me play with you guys for this round, this hole or whatever. And he was being very nice. And so the pro came to our tee box as we were teeing up and getting ready to hit the ball. And uh, he comes up and he introduces us, says, oh, I'm the pro here, I'd love to just play this hole with you guys. And, and then he says, uh, I, I got this joke. He's going around telling this joke. And it was a real bad off-color joke. And he's dropping F-bombs everywhere, right? So he's dropping the F-bombs, we're all there. And he, and he goes, oh, and, and, and then after the joke, he introduces himself to me, says, oh, I'm, you know, pro John so-and-so. And I say, oh, I'm, I'm Matt Poole. And I shake his hand. And he gets this look in his eye like, are you the Matt Poole whose church is hosting this tournament? <laughs> I could see the wheels turning. And, and I could see the look on his face. All of a sudden, when he realized I had the pastor label right? He started to change right before my eyes. And he started to relate to me differently. And then I introduced him to the other guys in my foursome. And this is Reverend so-and-so, and and this is Reverend so-and-so, and and this is Reverend so-and-so. 
And I am not kidding you, this is exactly how he responded. He fell to his knees on the green, on the tee box, and with his hands folded, and he said, forgive me. (laughs) Because he realized the language he had been using, the off-color joke he had just told us, and so, but noted, what, the point of this is, I looked at him and said, get up off the ground, you know, I'm like, we we don't care, you know, you're being who you are. But as soon as you found out that I was a pastor, you changed. Why is that? Why did you change your behavior? Why did you change? Because you had assumptions about me as a pastor that come with that label, even though you don't know me. Even though you actually don't know, you're only looking at this, you're not looking at what's inside. You're only looking at the outside label that, I, that the world has put on me, or that I have chosen, or that I have put on. The other thing we learn about labels and the other short sight, short-sightedness of labels is that we're not the sum of our labels, are we? How many people feel like you, you're, that's all you are? Like whatever label you're wearing today, whatever label you came in with today, is that all of you? Is that all of who you are? Are you the sum of all your labels? No, you're not the sum of all your labels. You're more than all of your labels. Now, here's some psychology. Eric Erickson, who's known for personality development, he talks about there are eight stages of personality development that we all go through, and it takes a lifetime to develop your personality, actually, according to Eric Erickson, uh, uh, the famous psychologist. And he talks about personality development, and he says there are eight stages, and there's one stage called identity versus role confusion. That there's this stage, and it happens, anybody want to take a guess of when the stage happens, identity versus role confusion? Anybody want to take a guess? Adolescence, right, thank you. Adolescence, right? What's happening in adolescence is that in adolescence, we're trying to find our identity, And what happens if we don't find our identity in adolescence, we begin to fall into what Erickson calls role confusion. And when we feel role confusion, when we feel like we don't have an identity, when we feel like we don't fit in with culture or with the norm or what's going on, we begin to try out and experiment with other identities and other roles in life. And so we begin to experiment with other places and other ways to define ourselves because we're looking to fit in, but there are two people we don't want to fit in with. Who are they? Your mom and dad, right. Long as I don't act like mom and dad, I'm good, right? Can I get a witness from the young people here? Yeah, can I get an amen, right? But I'm trying to find my identity, right? So this takes us to this identity, and that's where identity crisis happens. And if you don't resolve your identity crisis in adolescence, you move on to another stage of development, which is the difference between isolation and intimacy, and belonging and connection, or experiencing isolation. And nobody wants to experience isolation, because as we see in Genesis, we were made to be a part in relationship with each other, right, within community. So we need that, God wired us that way. now, you got all that? You got all that? You're, you still with me? Genesis chapter one. 
something very important happens in Genesis 1. In fact, in Genesis 1, chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 all connect together. They may, some people have said these are different accounts, but I would see that there are connections even among these accounts. And all these accounts were put in the Bible for a purpose. So the first thing we need to remember from chapter 1 is this. Chapter 1, verse 27. So God created humankind in his image In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is what theologians call the imago Dei, the image of God, that you and I are bearers of the image of God in each of us, all of us. Every human being has the image of God. Some theologians would suggest that that image of God is found in both the male and the female coming together, becoming one flesh. They would say that. Some theology says that it's in the male and femaleness, these characteristics of God come together, this imago Dei comes together. I'm actually coming at it from this idea and theological position that we all have the image of God in us, no matter what our gender is, that all of us bear the image of our creator that all of us as human beings have this imago Dei within us. And there are, you know, so there are different interpretations of that, but I'm coming from this place of that we all have the fingerprints, the spiritual DNA of our creator implanted in us. There's a blueprint in us. There's the imago Dei within us that matters. And it's part of our identity. It's very important to our identity to understand this. Now, I thought this was interesting Side note, how did God label God's self? When, 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 when you ask, who, who are you, God? What label does God use? All right, who said it? Who said it? Who said I am? Anybody say I am? Exactly. Moses said to God, Moses came to God, it was the burning bush, and Moses is being called to go to the Israelites, and Moses says to God, well, who should I say, you know, What's your identity? Who who, who should I say sent me? And God's response is this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. I am has sent you. No label. I am. I just exist. I am present I'm here. (laughs) You can't define me. You can't put a label on me. You can't put me in a box. (laughs) I am beyond your imagination, your understanding, your comprehension. I am. Here's the thing. You and I are created in the image of the I am. The labelless one. (laughs) The one that cannot be defined. The one whose identity is greater than all the human labels and human identities that we take on. We are, the created, we are created by the great I am. And we are created in the I am's image. Wow. If you take nothing home, I say this all the time, you take nothing home, take that. That you are greater than the sum of your labels. Because you are created in the image of God. Now, chapter three. It says Adam, in, actually sorry, chapter two, it says at the very end of chapter two, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Wouldn't that be a great place to be? The shame part, I'm talking, just the shame part. (laughs) Just checking to see if you're with me, all right. 
but to feel no shame, right? And so the tempt- notice the temptation for them. They're, they're in this place. They're with God. They're in relationship with God. They're actually living out the Imago Dei as, as the children of God. And they're living in the garden and the temptation comes. Now notice the temptation does two things. The tempter does two things. The first thing the temptation does is it gets us to doubt God. Did God really say Is that really what God meant? Are you sure? Doubt. If we can get doubt to creep in, then we're halfway to the fall. Then the second part of the temptation is this. Don't you want to be like God? Don't you want to be God? Because God, you know, basically what what is that discontentment with the way things are? Have you ever felt discontentment about the way things are? <laughs> is, 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 is the Imago day not enough for you, Adam and Eve? Don't you want something more? Don't you want more than what God is giving you? That's the temptation. Doubt God and then offer that you can give somebody something more than what God's giving you. That's temptation. And so they say, well, that sounds pretty good. Well, maybe God didn't really say, but you know, he said, don't even touch it. And, but it does look good. Maybe it's okay. So they give in to temptation. Notice that what happens is immediately two things. Remember, we, we learned that they were naked and not ashamed. What happens after the fall? They realize they're naked, they become aware that they're naked, and they feel shame. They feel shame. Shame, something they had never felt before that comes as a result of the knowledge of good and evil. They feel shame. What is shame? Well, let's turn to some psychologist. Dr. Brené Brown has written a lot of books and she talks a lot about shame. She defines shame this way. She says, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging, identity, (laughs) identity, crisis, right here. Identity crisis is happening for Adam and Eve. They were with God, they were living in the Imago Dei, now they've been tempted away from God, they've forgotten God, they've walked away from God, and now they are experiencing an identity crisis right here in the garden, and it has to do with shame, shame. So Adam and Eve go from experiencing love and belonging and no shame with God to experiencing unloved, flawed shame. They go from that to that and like that. I wonder if if Adam and Eve started seeing the flaws in each other at that moment. This is just me speculating, but I I think once they eat the foot and they become aware of knowledge of good and evil, did they start looking at each other and start seeing the flaws in each other and start judging each other, (laughs) right? And that was part of the shame, right? Notice, though, also that they start feeling shame before God even shows up that shame was inherent in the temptation in the fall, that shame came with their decision, with their choice. It did not come with the presence of God. When God comes back, he's actually very, very patient with them. I think, he's, he knows, I think God knows what's happened, right? But God comes back in the garden and says, where are you? What have you done, right? 
because I believe that God understands and realizes the state of shame that they're in. And so God, it's not God's presence that brings shame. And a lot of times we assume that it's God's presence that brings shame, right? It's not. Shame is inherent in us as we go through these identity crises. Now, the other thing we have to keep in mind, and I think this is where shame makes a connection to our identity crisis, is that the temptation for Adam and Eve was to be like God, right? Which, would you define narcissism as being trying to be like God? Isn't narcissistic, to be narcissistic is to be like God, to be a God, right? Your own God, and everything has to revolve around you. That's narcissism, right? It's interesting because also Dr. Brené Brown defines narcissism this way, and she says, you know, narcissism has been on the rise for the past 10 to 15 years in our society, in our culture. We're becoming more narcissistic, and there's a reason for that, I believe. And she says this, I see the shame she says, narcissism is the shame-based fear of, a, of being ordinary, of being like everybody else. <laughs> That's the shame of narcissism. I see the fear of never feeling extraordinary enough to be noticed, to be lovable, to belong, or to cultivate a sense of purpose. So shame and narcissism go together. Now, why is that happening in our culture? Why, why, why are we... Why are we doing that? I would suggest to you that as we move away from God in our culture, in our society, as we move away from God, we're also moving away from our true identity, which is the Imago Dei. So we're distancing ourselves from God. We're distancing ourselves from the Imago Dei, from how God created us, our true identity. And then what do we have to do when we lose God? What do we have to do when we've lost our relationship with God? We have to create our own identities. That's the identity crisis. We have to create our own significance. We have to create our own worth. We have to create our own sense of being loved. I have to prove to the world that I am lovable, that I belong. So I begin to label, put labels on, to try and, what, cover up or to overcome my shame. Right, it's all, I think these are connected. Uh, Political theorist Dr. Nathaniel Blake said this, Our endless discussions of identity as something to construct and deconstruct are rooted in the cultural unfolding of the death of God. Because we've gotten away from a relationship with God. We've traded being with God for being like God. That's the temptation. Is being with God enough for us? Or do we need to be like God in our lives? Because when Moses, when Moses asked the question, God, who are you? And God says, I am. I believe God is also saying to Moses in that same passage that I am enough for you, Moses. Because Moses was feeling inadequate. He didn't feel like he had the right labels to go to the Israelites. He didn't have the degrees. He didn't have the ordination. He didn't have the, the, the rabbiship or whatever we're gonna call it, right? And but God says to him, I am enough for you, Moses, to go to the Israelites. I am enough. Is God enough for you? Or do you want to be like God? That's the temptation. That's the crisis that we're in. I am is enough for me. I don't know about you. 
but I believe that God wants us to live out this Imago day, that our true identity is found in God. Nowhere else. Not in our labels. That we will, in our souls, it says, will not find rest until they rest in who? God. The prophet Jeremiah said, I stand, we stand at the crossroads and look Ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find what? Rest for your souls. But you said, <laughs> we will not walk in it. I think we stand at a crossroads. And we, one road says, Imago Dei. And on that road to the Imago Dei, which I believe God, where we find our true identity is in God, in our creator, in the image of God, planted, blueprinted DNA within us spiritually, that on that road, there is a cross of Jesus Christ who gave his life, who gave up everything and gave up. What did he give up? What did Jesus give up to come to earth? Identity. He did not consider something, equality with God, something to be grasped, but he made himself what? Nothing. And he went to a cross. And he says that you and I must do what on this road? You must deny yourself. <laughs> Take up your cross and follow me, right? That you need to deny yourself. Now, I don't think he's saying deny who God created you to be, deny your Imago Dei. He's saying you have to lose. He also said if you want to find your life, what do you have to do? You have to lose it. You have to lose your identity, and find it in God. And that's part of why I think that's one road. The other road, I think, is a road of where I have to create my own identity. I have to prove to the world that I am lovable, I am significant, I am worthy of being loved. And at the end of that road is a cul-de-sac of loneliness and isolation apart from God. So there's two roads. We had a crossroads. Now, I would ask you this question. When I say the word, or I say the name, I'll flash up a picture here, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. <coughs> Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, what do you remember about him? Freedom. Freedom. I a, dream. a dream. Anything else? Tragedy. What's that? He was bold. Sacrificial. Sacrificing, yeah. What's that? Equality, yes. I want you to just, I just want to stop. All right, well, let's do another one. Mother Teresa. What do you remember about Mother Teresa? Selfless. Humility, service, joy, worked with the poor, gave herself away. I would suggest to you that these people, I want you to point out two things about what you just said. One is nobody said, what are the labels we didn't use for their lives? Nobody said race, male, female. No, nobody said anything about race or gender or nobody said anything about uh, uh, religious affiliation, right? One's Catholic, one's Baptist. 
None of these human labels were used to describe what you remember about them. Why is that? Because they, I believe, were living out the Imago Dei in their lives. All those things that you just characterize are characteristics, in my mind, of the Imago Dei. Selfless, humble, bold, (laughs) equality, freedom. Those are things that God wants to see in our world. That's the Imago Dei being lived out in people's lives. So the labels that maybe, there may be some labels in our lives that really don't matter as much as the Imago Dei, our true identity that we find in God. And that's my hope for you and me, is that we will take the road of the Imago Dei and not all these other roads that we can take. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have imprinted in us, given us, loved us, said we belong in the garden with you because we are created in your image. We are worthy because you made us and created us and we are lovable, we do fit in. We don't need to be in an identity crisis. And so God, thank you that you love us and that you sent your son for us. You you were the one who had no labels. You sent the one who gave up his identity so that we could be with you, that we could be restored to our Imago Dei, to our relationship with you and restored to being like you, how you created us. And I thank you that you love each one of us. You, You never stop, you never give up and you're always there in our lives. So thank you. And we pray thanking you in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things uh, we get to do today is we have a baptism. And so I wanna invite uh, Thor to come up for uh, baptism, come on up here with me. And uh, actually, let me grab something. So when we baptize, this is actually a, New beginning, we've been talking about new beginnings today and uh, uh, Thor is coming to be baptized. He's recently come to faith here through a relationship with someone in our church and um, he's come forward for baptism and he's, this is a new beginning for him, right? This is a new beginning for you as you start this journey on this road towards God in your life. And so one of the things we do when we come together for baptism is we all share Uh, a a faith that we hold together and we say it in the Apostles' Creed. So uh, let's all recite the Apostles' Creed together today as we come as a community of faith around Thor as he comes for baptism. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So I've got some questions, Thor, for you this morning. Do you truly and earnestly repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your savior? I do. And do you accept the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as an authority for your life? I do. 
And do you renounce the spiritual forces of evil, reject the ungodliness of this world, and accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? I absolutely do. And do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? I do. Amen. And I say to the body here today, do you as Christ's body reaffirm both your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ? We do. And will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life and include Thor now before you in your care? With God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround this person with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their trust of God and be found faithful in their service to others. We will pray for them that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. Amen. Please be seated. Let's give him a hand this morning as he comes forward. We're going to share in communion together, all of us, and then he's going to prepare, and then we'll baptize him after we uh, share communion together. So let's again be in an attitude of prayer as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning. God, we give you thanks for this gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness that is represented at this table that we all share, come to today, because we've all been created in your image, and we are all receivers of grace, no matter where we are at in life, no matter what labels we wear, that God, your grace is available to all of us, and that you call all of us to come, to invite all of us to come by your grace and mercy. And so we pray that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit on us today, on these gifts of bread and cup, that they may truly be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ, so that when we leave this place today, we can go be the body of Christ, of the body of mercy and grace and love for others in this world. And we come together today and we pray that great prayer that you've taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.